I had attended a presentation where a young scholar, Colin Eckstein, stood and boldly proclaimed that he was a Christian atheist. Yes, a Christian atheist. And as a believer and Christ follower, I was intrigued and knew that I had to talk to him to find out more. So please, open your hearts and your minds and join us for this deeper conversation. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome here. I knew when I was recording these that I would have to speak with you because you presented and you identified yourself as a Christian atheist. That's right. And I said, of course, me going, wow, I love, what is that? I love it. Let me find out. <laughs> Sounds exotic, right? Yes. It's, it's almost like saying I'm from like Crimea or something. So it's like, <laughs> yes, let's talk about how do you come to that and what does that mean? Okay. And yeah. Okay. So I guess just as like a really like basic description up top of kind of what Christian atheism looks like for me. A lot of literature kind of defining religion or what spirituality means Mm -hmm. will kind of use this like circle inside of circle to kind of describe what spirituality means. And the outer circle, which is kind of like a donut, right? That's everything like your community, your beliefs, your practices, like the material reality that surrounds That's like the spiritual ring, and it surrounds the so-called like spiritual core, which is God, meaning, purpose, the ground of being, and that's kind of like the donut hole at the center of the donut that holds it all together. Right. And it imbues the ring with with purpose, etc., etc. And so that's kind of like the traditional model of spirituality, and kind of Christian atheism. And kind of the major spiritual discovery of my life was that the center of the circle was empty. It's just a donut. God is dead. There is no meaning of life. There is no ground of being. There is a lack at the center of every person. There is a constitutive lack at the center of our being. And our instinct is to try to fill that, to try to seek Mm. certainty and satisfaction through money, through politics, through religion. Um, There's a lot of ways that people try to convince themselves that like, as we were talking before, you know, they have the capital T truth. Mm -hmm. They have some, they have some ground to stand on. And I think I think Christian atheism really tries to embrace the fact that there is no meaning of life, but there can be meaning in life. Hmm. And those are two very different things. There may not be a God which tells me that my community is important, but my my community is nevertheless important. My beliefs Hmm. and practices that structure my life, like the donut itself, is meaningful. And we construct it. But that doesn't compromise like what it means to each person. I think that that's one one I recognize that you may have just lost some people yeah. uh, who probably just clicked off and said, I don't want to hear anything about sure, that sure, because sure. God is not dead. Um, and I acknowledge that. Uh, 
But I think that it is important to have this conversation, to have different conversations. Mm -hmm. One, because uh, the ministry of Jesus that I read about in the Bible is going from place to place dealing with different people who were not necessarily Jewish. Sure. And how to be in community. I often use the analogy that uh, community is messy because Judas was at the table. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not always this lighthearted thing. So I think it's great that we have these conversations. And two, I, something about when you say that there's a lacking in all of us and we're trying to fill it with these things like religion, um, it resonates with me because I find that uh, I spoke with Dr. Niang recently about uh, Samuel trying to find a, the people were looking for a king. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's where we're at in society right now is that we're trying to find an external solution to internal problems. And so this internal lacking is everyone saying, we need a king. We need a leader. We need a new house. We need the biggest car. We need the, the mega church. We need all of these external solutions. Absolutely. Which then leads us to always being empty on the inside. And so I, that really resonates with me. And so that's what I can hear. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think you did an excellent job, like, reframing what I was saying um, in a way that, like, I feel is authentic to what I said, but also can, like, fit within your Christian belief system. And, like, you can find meaning in that. And Thank you can, you. like, resonate with that. And I think that's fantastic that Thank we you. can, you know, find that, find that point of agreement. So as a Christian atheist... What does your practice look like? Or do you have a practice? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't want to get too abstract. And I think, I think I didn't do a great job up top making like, my idea super accessible. So I think I'm going to try to answer your question and kind of reframe it in a simpler way. And I think the best way to do that is to talk about belief in Santa. Okay. okay. So I see, and, and I know that I, I hope this doesn't, I don't mean this to be insulting in any way. It's not like a developmental model, like in the end, everyone will end up where I am. This is kind of just my story and my development, right? So at the beginning of my life, when I was a kid, I was a fundamentalist, both with God and with Santa. Okay. Because I believed that Santa was literally real. Um, that Santa's like literal existence was the only important thing. If Santa did not actually exist, that would be a, just the greatest tragedy, right? And right. the same thing for God. Like, to the, the day I found out that Santa didn't exist, I cried. That was devastating. And then I think the second point of some people call it new atheism, I, me as a disaffected teen, was saying, Santa, stupid myth. Kids believe in that. God, stupid myth. That's what kids believe in. Like, that doesn't actually have any value. And I think those are like the two traditional perspectives that people see battling against each other. Mm -hmm. It's like the literal belief, fundamentalism, and new atheism, which dismisses the fundamentalist as stupid. But I think the best of Christianity and the best of atheism take a third position, which is the position of the adult. Hmm. Now, the adult doesn't really, doesn't necessarily literally believe in Santa, 
But by doing the work of Santa, the adult makes Santa real to everyone else. Hmm. The adult, by making sure that every kid has a present at Christmas, literally like brings Santa into existence. Like you resurrect in, Santa. Yeah. Yes. There you go. And I think the same can be said in a sense of God, of with God, hmm. that by doing the work of God, I can create God in a sense. And I know that that term can be sticky with people. Um, it's I think, like having a resurrection. Yeah, I think so. Um, definitely, definitely. Um, like there's that idea behind it, right? Yeah. Of Santa, for me, passed through this stage, of, this middle stage of death. There was the myth of Santa. I, I rejected the myth of Santa. There was the death of Santa. And then Santa was resurrected in a new way, in a way that I found more meaningful. And I think it's the way that I would put it is the only Santa that is real is a Santa that doesn't exist. And that's the best kind of Santa. Hmm. Because Santa isn't literally out there in the world, but Santa is real in the sense that we create Santa. And I would say God is real. God is real because we do the work of God. And Hold on. The, <laughs> you see my face is turning as you're talking. Um, I am having a moment like... Um, I think Oprah would say the hairs are standing up on the back of my <laughs> neck because it's so easy to hear people speak. And the moment they say something you don't agree with, you negate them. Um, I think it's one, a very dangerous practice to throw people away. But in this, I'm listening to you. And the more I listen to you, I understand the Christian in the atheist working sure. together because it is. Uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, he has a beautiful book called Living Buddha, Living Christ. And he says in there that there is no Sangha, no Buddhist community, as we would call a church, um, without the people doing the work. Okay. And that if the people aren't doing this loving work, then they can't even be called one. Okay. And so it would be like, we can't be a church. We can't be Christ believers, Christians, Christ followers, if we are not doing the work of Christ. And you're saying that if we take this notion, I believe you're saying, which is revolutionary for me, if we take this notion that Christ is coming to save us, that God is going to reach down and there'd be some magic happens and then your life will be, you'll get this new job or you'll get this car, that if you just believe that, it's just like believing in Santa. But if you do the work, mm -hmm. and I say the work meaning Christ said, greater works than these, so shall ye do. Uh, sight to the blind, giving the gospel to the poor, setting the captives free, jail ministry, the things that we talked about. Yeah. When you are doing these works, you are being Christ in the world. Therefore, you're not waiting on someone literally, else. Literally being Christ. You are literally being Christ in the world and not waiting on someone else mm -hmm. or some Santa Claus to come deliver you, mm -hmm. which is mind-blowing to me because it is the thing that I believe the church has stepped away from, and you just say it differently, is that there is a practice 
I don't have to be present in church. I don't have to participate. Mm -hmm. I don't have to do anything. But I went to church on Sunday and I'm done. Yeah. But that's not a practice. Yeah. And I think the difficulty of Christian atheism is that if you don't do the work of God, then God is dead. Then Mm. if you don't do the work of Christ, then Christ is not resurrected. You are responsible for the resurrection of Christ. Yes. Um, and that is, that's a serious responsibility. That's more difficult than going to church, at least as I see it. Being around Buddhist and being around Muslims, because that's who I've been around, they've never asked me to convert or to practice anything that they do, but Christians have this very puritanic notion that it is our job to convert people to Christianity. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a challenge because if we're just converting people without the practice, then we're frauds, we're charlatans, we're the people selling snake oil. Yeah, I think I would be a, a real, I would be the ultimate enemy to the Christians who see conversion as their project, in that I see my project as the only way to save the church is to destroy it. And what I mean by that... No, you've sold me. (laughs) What I mean by that is we have the fundamentalist, the child believing in Santa. The only way to to traverse to the adult is is for Santa, for God to die. There must be that period of the grave of, of death. And the church itself must pass through that. You know, I agree with you. First of all, this is probably, I'm going to get so much hate mail and uh, emails about this podcast okay. because I am sitting down with a Christian atheist. <laughs> um, but also just the, the fact that she says the church has to die. I heard one morning waking up, Uh, the last two weeks of school, crucify the black church. Wow. And I said, I'm not telling anybody that. (laughs) But then it started to make sense to me that when, when God chose to create a new, he did not choose revival. He did not choose reconstruction. God had done all these other things when he finally sent himself in the form of Jesus, what I believe, to the earth to be with the poor. And what he chose was that, the greatest sacrifice, to create something new in this world. For us to go and be the witnesses was crucifixion. Mm -hmm. That it has to be a death. It has to be a mourning. And to that positivity, I think it's already happening. I believe that prosperity gospel is the Judas at the table um, of Christianity, of church, that is telling you that this message that is meant for the poor, that if you're not poor, then it's a sin to be poor, and God wants you to have money, and and if it's not happening, then it's your fault. I believe that that is the Judas at the table. You just have to give 30 pieces of silver instead of getting it. It's even worse, right? Basically. Deeper Conversations is brought to you by Poor Culture. We do church different. To a world built on the backs of slaves, we must never forget. We must never forget that the evils of slavery are still alive today. And much like Deeper Conversations, 
I vow to keep the conversation on slavery alive in hopes that it never happens again. Join us at neveragain.com. That's N-V-R-A-G-N.com. That's N-V-R-A-G-N.com. Never again. People are leaving the church in droves. There's many factors that lead to that, but people are leaving the church and still searching for something. And I think we're in that in-between period where people are just like, what's being preached there doesn't resonate as truth, because we all know what truth feels like when we hear it. Mm -hmm. And I believe that what will come after this Mm -hmm. will be something that ministers to the poor, that is more egalitarian, egalitarian, that is more loving, that is more Christ-like than we've seen mm-hmm. in hundreds of years. So I think we're there. I just don't yeah. think that we all use the same words that the church has to die, but I yeah, think it is. And, and I think I think the, the one thing that Christian atheism would have to offer, maybe even as we consider the death and birth of the, of the church, is Christian atheism sees the crucifixion and the resurrection as fundamentally the same event. And Hmm. what I mean by that is Jesus didn't die on a cross, get thrown in a tomb. God gave him CPR and he walked out, right? Where there's this like delay. In, In Christian atheism, the moment that Christ is resurrected is when the disciples gather around and mourn Jesus. And mourn Jesus, mourn the death of Jesus's mission. And in that moment of mourning the crucifixion, Jesus' spirit is resurrected among them. The, the, the spirit of that collective body is the spirit of Christ. And again, it comes back to this idea of the whole at the center of the circle, mm-hmm. right? And I think as we consider the death and rebirth of the church, um, it's it's tempting to think, well, I, I see the dying part. This is terrible, right? And But I can trust that somewhere in the future there's going to be this, like, magical deliverance where Santa God's going to come back again and everything's going to be, everything's going to be equitable and everything is going to be great. But, like, the good news is Santa God's coming back. Mm. Um, which is not resurrection. No. That's a negation of crucifixion. And those are different. Yeah. It is the scary truth of Christianity. When you sign up for this thing called Christianity, that it is not a pie in the sky, everything is done. You have signed up for a life of several failures that may turn into an ultimate success at some point. But... It's not about, I started a church and now it's a mega church five years later. I have 4,000 members now. I have this big house. I have this car because these are God's blessings. That's not the ministry that I read about when I read about the ministry of Jesus. No, but it's a successful business model. And that's really what counts (laughs) counts right now. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. In presenting Christian atheism, Mm -hmm. you talk about the practice the work that we have to do, that we are literally Christ in the world. Yeah. And you showed me a photo of basically heaven or the two rocks with the cross. Oh, yeah, sure. Leaned back between yeah, as like the bridge between. Previous presentation. And that many of us talk about the cross mm-hmm. as this way of getting to heaven. Yes. 
but you say it's something different. Yeah, I think the traditional idea is that the cross bridges heaven and earth so that humans can go up into heaven, right? And the cross mm-hmm. is like, it's the only way. And the goal is to leave all the quote-unquote sinners on earth so they can get their just desserts. Mm-hmm. And we want basically to live in a mansion with God um, in heaven. And it's about comfort and it's about security hmm. and it's about satisfaction. And, it's, and I think, again, I think that misses this, what is, what is the resurrection actually signifying? The signified? cross becomes an idol. Yeah, and that's essentially how I would define an idol. An idol is anything that promises you satisfaction and security. Hmm. Um, and nothing is capable of providing you that. I, but I think, I think, like you said, if, if you miss the symbolism of what the cross actually represents, which is failure, which is, it's not that we are going up to heaven. It's that via the cross, God came down to earth and then died. It's that... Jesus rejected, forsook heaven to embrace the earth. And this is the exact opposite of the message that's being preached now, which is reject the earth and embrace heaven. The earth is worthless. The earth is Mm. here to be like exploited. Its resources are to be exploited. Um, And the only important thing is heaven that's coming later, right? It's all about like the delayed gratification Things are going to suck while you're here on earth, but things will be great, pie in the sky. Um, and that is the opposite of what Jesus did, which mm-hmm. is, I am going to forsake heaven, forsake whatever security and satisfaction that represents in order to embrace the earth, embrace suffering, embrace, embrace people. Hmm. Um, and I think in order to be faithful to Christ's mission— we are also called to forsake heaven, in a way. Well, what I hear um, in you saying that is, for God so loved all of creation that he gave himself for it. And we, I mean, we're all taught to read John mm-hmm. 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave. Yeah. And I have never heard it, even when I first heard you say it, the exact same way as I heard it today, that that what you are saying is that you are looking at this maybe not differently than it's ever been looked at before, but you're looking at it with a new lens sure. and saying, wait a minute, if I'm to do this Jesus thing, then it has to be done the way Jesus did it. Absolutely. And I then have to, and I've said this before with Dr. Ning, I have to then carry about care about animals as well as people, as well as the earth, as well as global warming, as well as all of creation. Sure. And be willing to be there with it because Christ did not come from this safe, secure place to live in or even be born in a palace. Mm -hmm. Didn't have a great car and this big (laughs) mega church and, you know, all of these things, but... Christ came and smack dab the middle of animals mm-hmm. in a barn. Absolutely. 
and then lived amongst the poorest of the poor, life has not been a crystal stair, so we look for any bits of comfort we can. Yeah. But that's why I believe that it's important to have these conversations, especially from um, someone who calls himself a Christian atheist. Yeah. I love that you have both terms together. And even if you didn't, someone who is on the outside of Christianity, because I believe that anything you love, and this is Bible, um, you also discipline. And if we don't call the things that we love to task, if we are not being watchdogs of Christianity, if we are not being watchdogs of the very churches we are in, then we are forsaking the scripture and our calling, our our responsibility of the faith. No, it's a really interesting point. And I think I think Radical theology, which is is what this is. Radical theology is kind of the the vehicle of Christian atheism. And I think it really does have something to offer the poor in that Christian atheism is not interested in life after death. It's interested in life before death. Hmm. Well, I'm not asking if life is possible after death. I'm asking if life is possible before death. And if so, how do we do that? Um, and I think it's by actually taking Jesus seriously. And I think some Christians would say way too seriously, which is so funny to me, that I could take Jesus more seriously in a way. Yeah, that's amazing to me because in the, the African-American, the black church, whatever term is best used, we talk about one radical faith, a radical, God's going to do a new thing. Um, God, we will even pray before the service uh, in the invocation. God, send us a fresh word, a fresh anointing. Mm. Mm. And what I hear today is a fresh word, but I also fear that it will be rejected because it is not in line with what we've been told. But that's exactly what a fresh word is. It's completely new. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And I think I'll use one more kind of cheesy metaphor to discuss how, uh, I, I guess, how I envision this, right? Um, you know, Jesus talks about building your house on sand, okay? So imagine for a second your faith as a sand castle, right? Mm. And the waves of life come and knock it down. Um, and that's kind of the process of what people would call deconstruction, right? Is my faith was not able to handle the reality of, of life. And so one wave comes and knocks it down and I build a new sandcastle. That's reconstruction, right? And over time, I learn to build a wider base and I learn to pack the sand and I learn you know, each time my sandcastle gets knocked down, I get new experience and I build my sandcastle a little better, right? Mm-hmm. And for most people, this is how faith works, is their entire life, their sandcastle is getting knocked down and they build a bigger one. But I think at the end of the day, a sandcastle can never stand up to the ocean. The paradigm is fundamentally wrong. You're trying to defend against the ocean. So instead of building a sandcastle, what radical theology does is it digs a hole because the hole is able to contain, in a way, the waves of life. Um, And it feels destructive 
and it feels, it acknowledges like an emptiness, a gap inside us. Um, but it, it totally changes this strategy. It is a new word. Hmm. Um, it, it changes how we deal with life. And I think the messianic message of Jesus Christ entering time and initiating just a radical break with everything that came before it. Reversal. It's a complete reversal of the strategy that everyone else employs, right? And this is some of the imagery that you were getting at, right? Mm -hmm. King lives in a castle, not in a staple. It's the complete inversion. Mm -hmm. I think some people would say perversion Mm -hmm. of what you expect. And so I think if we're going to take that seriously, then we can't just keep building sandcastles. I think that uh, a lot of people are hurting. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people who have been faithful as much as they can be, and life has come one too many times, yeah. as life does. Yeah. Um, and sometimes humanly uh, inspired um, churches, people are hurt sometimes by other people in yeah. churches and clergy, but I think that the danger is that many of these people have walked away from not just their churches, mm-hmm. but from faith altogether. Absolutely. And, and I, I wouldn't even say that they are wrong. Not at all. No, they're, they're I, tired of their sandcastle tired being of their knocked sandcastle. down. Yeah. And their pastor saying, go build another one. And them knowing instinctively that that's not going to work. And so I think that what you're saying may minister to many people who, ha- who are tired of their sandcastles being mm-hmm. knocked down. I-, I love in Malachi, and we use it for um, offering all the time. Okay. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that they bring me meet night house. It says, and prove me now here what says the Lord of hosts. I love the word prove because proof requires questioning, it requires testing, it requires a hypothesis and a testing, and maybe some surveys, and maybe, but if we are going to get this God thing right, then I believe that there has to be some testing of the sand, of the sandcastle, of this model, and maybe getting some minds together and saying, maybe we just move it higher up. (laughs) You know, know, and so I believe that that's what this time is calling for. And I thank you for having this conversation with me. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, just sort of rapid fire. What do you think? Who or what is God? God is an event that we bring to fruition. Finish the statement. What the world needs now is? What the world needs now is equity. And if you could ask God one question. Oh, can I can I answer with a story? Sure. Okay. So Slavoj Žižek, who is uh, he's a Slovenian philosopher, and he told, tells this story. It's an old Bolshevik joke. There's an old Soviet propagandist, and he he dies, and he goes to hell. But he's so good at propaganda that he's able to talk his way into heaven, right? And so the devil figures this out, and he goes looking for him in heaven. And God stops him and is like, whoa, 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 what, what, what are you doing? What are you doing here? And, and the devil starts to apologize and he goes, oh, Lord, Lord, I'm so sorry. The first thing God says is, 
Number one, like I'm not Lord, right? So stop calling me Lord. Number two, like I'm a fantasy. Why are you talking to me? I don't exist. And number three is I'm late for my party meeting. So like, I need you to get out of the way. And this seems like such an odd joke to Christians and, and I think they don't get it at first. But what we need is a God who, instead of us asking God questions, God's asking us the questions. Why are you pretending? Uh, why are you pretending like I exist? Why, um, like, what does that do for you, right? And this this God is very aware that he doesn't exist, and he's going to his party meeting because he's he's about to take like direct political action and make people's lives better. Um, and it's a little goofy, but I really think there's something to that idea of God questioning us and us allowing ourselves to be questioned by God.